Yeah, that's what I believe. I am. <laughs> I like to take action. I do like to dream a lot. So I'm in my English matters. I am more of the the marketing side and the content side, and Azima is more of the teacher, and Aisha is more of the, of the arts and the creative side of it. But mm. yeah, I would I would like to believe that we are action takers because we've always believed that we have to fulfill our potential. We have that potential, and it's like taking that step to go there. Welcome to the With Sayada podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Belonging and Understanding. The podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter. This is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others. I'm your host, author and coach Sayada Zaidi, and every episode I'll be asking a new guest to share their story. Today, I'm speaking with Amna Shurfa. Amna and her sisters, Azima and Aisha, are the co-creators of My English Matters. When they were younger, they spent eight years in Manchester, England. And as children, they always loved learning the English language. In 2016, they created My English Matters as an online digital platform to help Malaysians and second language learners with their English proficiency. Since then, they've conducted online courses, monthly online classes, and live workshops. Uh, Welcome to Amna Shurfa. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. And uh, you're doing some really, really amazing work. what I'd love to do is just to to ask you first to to kind of answer the question because you, you sent me a really really interesting email in response to my kind of like request for you to be on the podcast, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I had no idea about this story. So I would just love it if you would kind of um, just introduce yourself and and maybe unpack that story a little bit. Hi, Saida. This is Amna here. Amna Shurfa. That's my second name. Um, so what I do is I am one of the creators of My English Matters. So what we do at My English Matters is we teach Malaysians and also non-Malaysians, second language learners, how to improve their English because English is their second language for most people here in Malaysia. And um, we started this company in 2016. 2016. Wow. And uh, just to go back to your story, in 2015, we went to a conference in San Jose, in California, and it was Brendan Burchard's conference. And from that conference, it kind of changed our lives. It, it was also the beginning of how My English Matters started. And then just recently, this year, I joined Brendan Burchard's mastermind. And then you, Saida, you, contacted me you wanted me to be on my podcast then I told Azima I said oh I'm so excited so you guys has asked me to join a podcast I actually knew you already before that because Azima told me I was I didn't know actually that you were the one that introduced Azima to Brendan Burchard and Azima introduced me to Brendan Burchard and I've joined like so many of his programs I've joined like three online courses and went we went to San Diego 
And then Azima was like saying, Azima is one of the creators of Mindless Masses for those who don't know. So she told me that Saida was actually the person that introduced her to Brendan Bashad and she introduced me to Brendan Bashad because of Saida. I was like, oh my God, it's like, what is going full circle now? It's amazing, right? And then I always knew you, but I was like, Saida is like too high up there. You know, like I, I'm too no, shy no, to no. approach her. So no, don't be silly. Please, <laughs> please. You're embarrassing me now. But I think there's, there's some really interesting gifts in, in this story that you're sharing because I had absolutely no idea. And for those who don't know um, who Brendan Bashad is, I think that he is one of the most kind of gifted, talented, and also humble human beings in terms of being able to teach and and share the knowledge that he has. And and I, I he, he kind of takes a view that I try and emulate, which is to be one or two steps ahead and then share the bits that you've done and the bits that you know. And I think that's why I find him uh, uh, such a wonderful person to learn from. And so... Yeah, you know, anyone who's kind of like working in the field of personal development or wants to know how to do marketing or anything like that, I, I will always kind of try and introduce them to Brendan or to, to one of his um, uh, programs or, or something. Now, the really interesting piece, um, now that we've done enough marketing for him, which isn't needed, but anyway, <laughs> but, the, but the interesting piece about what you said is that there's just something really quite amazing about how it just takes one introduction, you yeah. know. And so for for you to say that, you know, your your sister Azima kind of uh, heard about Brendan through me and then that's changed your life. Yeah. It starts to make me think, well, how many other times do we introduce people to somebody and the potential is there and they follow through and we actually have no idea about yeah, it. exactly. But then the other side is, how many times does somebody not follow through and, you know, the opportunities there and they've missed out? So for me, one of the things that I've heard about you, and I think two of your sisters are um, partners in My English Matters, yeah. um, that is that you're action takers. Yeah, that's what I believe. I am. <laughs> I like to take action. I do like to dream a lot. So I'm in my English matters. I am more of the the marketing side and the content side, and Azima is more of the teacher, and Aisha is more of, of the arts and the creative side of it. But mm. yeah, I would I would like to believe that we are action takers because we've always believed that we have to fulfill our potential. We have that potential, and it's like taking that step to go there to mm. where we want to be. So let me ask you: if if you get stuck. Or if you're in this kind of like phase where you know that there's something that you really want to do, but you you feel prevented from taking the action that you want, what do you do? What do I do if I get stuck? Um, one is that I, I feel like I rarely get stuck. I think it's because I have, it's not something that, I mean, it's not something that I really struggle with getting stuck, but I think it's because I have people that I talk to. So if I have something on my mind that I'm not happy with, or I just feel like I'm stuck, there's always somebody that I can talk to. So it could be my husband, it could be my sisters, and I'm always journaling. So it's like, if I get mm. stuck, I don't get stuck for long. There's always something that I do to move forward. I don't like to be like in one stagnant place for too long. So I talk to people, I write it down. I like to read books. Or I like to just Google stuff, things that I want to find out. So that's basically what I do to 
get unstuck when I do get unstuck. But most mm. of the time, I don't think that I'm stuck. It's interesting because I think what you're doing is you're describing some of the most important practices for moving forward. So that's probably why you say you don't get stuck. You know, the, the idea of just kind of conversing and, and unpacking things with other people is so significant. And and sometimes yeah. I know for me, sometimes I just think, oh, my gosh, this thing is just so big and it's going to stop me from doing everything. But I speak to somebody and within five minutes, I'm just thinking, actually, I found a solution or it was never a problem in the first place. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think the word the word stuck itself can make you feel like you're stuck. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Like when you think of it as a different way, like it's more of a, a challenge that you're going through. I think it's a bit different. I think the word mm. is different. And then the other thing that I really do want to just take a, a moment to notice and for the listeners to be aware of is you, you shared that you journal. I think um, that, you know, we know much more about journaling now and the power of it, but there are still a lot of people who have that resistance towards it. And mm -hmm. I would just encourage you, if you're, if you're thinking about it or if you're facing some, some challenges in your life, just write it down. You know, yeah. journaling can be something that is both very, very simple or the practice that you involve is quite complex. If you've never done it before in your life, just grab a bit of paper, write stuff down. And and sometimes I know people find that, that they want to journal about things that are quite complex. I always then say if that happens, you can just shred it or you can, you know, put it in your recycling or whatever. You can it's very easy to 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 deal with that stuff once it's out of you. But getting yeah. it out of you on the paper is the challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. So so what's the kind of advice that you have for people who do want to journal and they've never done it before? Well, for me, I've been writing since I've been writing in a, I used to call it a diary when I was a kid. So I've been writing since I was about nine, eight or nine. Wow. So when I was a kid, when you're a kid, you're just writing what, what happened in school, like who's your friend, who did you fight with? Uh, but now when I'm older, I, I, there was a period in my, in my life when I stopped journaling. So I was about, I think it was after high school, I stopped journaling. And then just a few years ago, I started journaling again. So it was back in 2017 that I started journaling again. Because I just didn't know what to write. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then I realized that I just have to have these prompts. So I have some prompts, journal prompts that I write by myself. That's actually inspired by Brendan Bouchard again. <laughs> uh, so for people who don't know what to write when they're journaling, they can just write the simple things like what they're grateful for or what happened during the day. For me, I like to write like what happened during the day, what, what I did. I don't really write a lot about my feelings, but I write about what happened during the day. It's just a way for me to get it all out. And I also write about what I want to do the next day and my mm. targets for that day. Because I journal, I write two times a day during the morning and in the evening. So that might be a bit too much for most people. But I didn't start that way. I just started once a week. And then once I, was, I got used to writing once a week, I would write. And now I'm writing two times a day. That's brilliant. So just, yeah, and just to start with something once a week, it could be once a week, it could be once a month, just start having a consistent routine. It could be just a small, small thing that you do once a month or once a week. And once you get used to that, then you can start writing every day. Mm. It's not about getting it perfect, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a really important point. Like, you know, it, just begin. It, it doesn't need to be perfect. And if you aim for perfection, you're never going to start. And I think that applies to everything in life. Because, for example, yeah. even this podcast, you know, I've w- wanted to do it for several years and I've been waiting for something. You know, if you ask me every week, it's something different. And then one day I just thought, OK, just begin, you know. And within a matter of weeks, all of a sudden, I've just done such a huge amount of work because I removed myself being an obstacle within that and um just one last thing on um the, the idea of journaling i recently actually started to do some journaling after each podcast recording and so i reflect on what are the things that i enjoyed what did i do well what could i improve on and it mm-hmm. sounds so simple but but doing that unpacking for maybe five, 10 minutes afterwards has just given me so much more confidence in how I show up in the podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a practice that one uses as a coach. So, you know, when, when I'm training coaches, I always say, give yourself about 15 minutes after each session so that you're able just to kind of, you know, work out what you've done well, what you do differently, all of those learning points. If you don't do that stuff, then you miss out on such huge opportunities for you to have that personal sense of growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yep. It doesn't mm-hmm. just, it applies to your basic life, right? So every day you're, you're reflecting on the day, what could have you done better? It's more like seeing yourself as a person that can grow and not being too hard on yourself. Like it's all a learning process, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So you strike me as a as quite an entrepreneurial person, Amna. And um, I wanted to ask you, why why my English matters? Why not an, another business? What is it that kind of like prompted you to begin this one hmm, that's a great question because that was something that I that was a question that I asked myself before we started so uh, I I was in a corporate job for about six years it was in a telco company a telecommunications company here in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur and then I left that job because I wanted to spend time with my children so I was doing a part-time job I was translating tv shows for a uh, broadcasting company. So I was doing subtitles for that. You know, the captions we translate from English to Malay and Malay to English. Mm -hmm. I was doing that for about, I was doing that for six years from 2014 to 2020. So I just stopped that. Gosh, wow. Yeah, but it was a lot of many hours spent translating and I wasn't getting any of my creative juices out. I was translating for people. So I felt that. I felt a bit, yeah, I felt a bit stuck. I was like, I can't be doing this for the rest of my life. I wanted to have a business, but I just didn't know what business to start. And then I asked my husband, I said, I, I knew about people teaching online because I was introduced to Brendan and all these people online. So I asked my husband, what can I do? What can I teach? Um, what can I teach online that people will actually pay for? Or what am I good at that I can teach? And my husband had said to me, you can teach English. And I was like, English? It, was, it wasn't something that was very obvious to me because English is like, I speak English all the time. But he said to me, there are so many people in Malaysia within this region who struggle with English, who struggle with confidence in English. And I was like, oh, okay. I've always loved English when I was in high school. And I love the, the subject of English itself. And it also merged with 
my sister Azima's dream because she also just left her job as a lecturer. So she was teaching English to university students. She wanted to start teaching for herself. So I thought, why don't we get together and we do this online? And then she said, yeah, that's a great idea. So I'll just take care of the marketing and Azima will will do more of the teaching because that's already her forte. And then we invited our other sister, Aisha. She says, I don't know how, how I'm going to contribute, but it sounds fun. So yeah, she contributes in terms of her artistic, you know, all that values and stuff. So yeah, that's how we started. So back to your question, why English? Because it's something that we notice a lot of second language learners struggle with. Malaysians especially, they feel that their lack of uh, fluency in English affects the way that they work because a lot of Malaysians companies they they converse in English and they they are very confident when they speak in their first language which is Malay but when they speak English they become a different person so we wanted to to help these kinds of people so that they can be who they are in both languages in both English and in their first language mm. yeah that's how we started Mm. And and I just want to pause for a moment and congratulate you because, you know, it's a really, really big deal to be kind of running a business or thinking about starting a business and working and then to make that decision to actually stop the kind of J-O-B so that you can go in full time for your, you know, what people might call the side hustle. I like to call it your dream. (laughs) And just to kind of go all in is just such a really big decision. So I, yeah, huge, huge congratulations. It's, uh, I'm so pleased for you. I really am. (laughs) Thank you so much. And, um, and and some interesting observations for me, because I lived in Malaysia um, for, gosh, maybe a, a year or so. And um, one of the, the realizations that, that we had whilst we were there is that the English language is changing. And I'm convinced that the English language will change as a result of second language speakers Mm -hmm. rather than native speakers like myself. Mm -hmm. And so there's some really interesting dynamics that kind of come out of that. And I'd love you to just share your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the term Manglish. Manglish is Malay and English. So there are so many... Sometimes when I speak English, I worry that if I'm speaking to someone like you as a native speaker, that I might say something that you wouldn't understand because it's Manglish. But it's it's lovely to see how the English language has kind of adapted to, and people have adapted the English language for themselves at work. And um, I think a lot of the confidence, the, the problems that second language learners face is that they think English is like something that belongs to the native speakers. Whereas we see English as it belongs to everyone. Everyone Absolutely. is using it. And it's like, it's, and I actually celebrate people who actually use Manglish because it helps us to connect with each other and it brings the, the beautiful culture of Malaysia into the language of English. And that's mm. how I see it. Mm, yeah, absolutely, and 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 I suppose that it's funny because I mean I I speak Urdu, you know, and every, you know like most of my conversations with my mum are in Urdu, you know, and yeah. and it's just and and then I've always always got to remember when somebody else is in the room, but actually that kind of gives you some advantage as well. So if I'm having a private conversation with my sisters, I'll just turn the Urdu on and they can understand it. And then every now and then there's that one word of English, and everyone turns around and they're like, Yeah, I heard that. I don't get. The 
the rest of the stuff. But what's really fascinating, actually, is that um, my my son my, or my children, um, they speak Arabic as opposed to Urdu. And we deliberately made a decision so, so that they would learn Arabic so that they could understand the language of the Quran. So that when they were doing their memorization, they kind of had a bit of an idea of, of what was being said. And uh, what is really fascinating is how much you can communicate through gesture. <laughs> I never thought I'd be discussing this on a podcast, right? But but just and because sometimes my son will just look at me and he'll say, I know what you're saying. And that's because of the gestures rather than <laughs> the, the words. So. Yes, exactly. Right. Because English, uh, any language is more than just the words itself, right? It's your hands, it's your face, it's your body language. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's how my children have learned as well English because they've kind of learned it through their parents. So whatever I say, they can understand because they can see how we move our hands, how we speak. So it's kind of like all we'll gelled together, English and Malay, that I speak Malay. That's mm. great. Mm. So you, you mentioned that you've got children. How do you balance like, you know, work that's clearly very important for you and family life, which is is important? So how, how do you kind of, you know, how do you leave work at work and family at family, if that makes sense? I think it was it was harder for me when they were small. So now my first son, he's 10. The uh, second one is uh, eight and the smallest one, he's no sorry he's five so when they were when they were like toddlers babies that was very difficult for me it was very difficult for me to to balance I don't know if people can actually attain that balance but it's all about working around their time so now I do have the the luxury I guess of scheduling my own time because I have my own uh, my own business and company so I would tend to schedule my time around their times, like what time do I have to send them to school? But now everybody's learning online, so I don't have to worry about that, but I have to worry about what time I have to cook. I have to worry about breakfast. And it's all about giving yourself grace and mm. knowing and preparing for it and knowing that your kids are going to sometimes disturb you. So how I do it, if I plan my day, I have like, I plan my days from seven to 10. So I only give myself one task to do per hour because I know I'm going to be I'm going to be sort of disturbed by them and or they're going to say that they are hungry or I have to suddenly check on their homework that's how that's how I balance it right now mm. and also because they're a bit older it's a bit easier for me but when they were younger it was a bit difficult but mm. another thing is that to get into a routine so a routine gives you something to fall back on so if you like get distracted or something you know that this is what you should be doing at this time of the day so that's that's mm. helped me it's, it's really interesting listening to, to to what you're saying because I, I remember when my kids were younger I I had to have more um planning within my day and I'm a real advocate for kind of organization and planning but I was just thinking I've, I've become much more relaxed about that more recently mm -hmm. and that's because my kids are teenagers so if they're hungry chances are they'll just go and help themselves to whatever's in the fridge whereas yeah. before they'd ask me so that mm. then meant that I had to have structure and 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 also an understanding that actually you can't do everything that you want to you know yeah. you, and, and I think sometimes what happens is 
um, you know, as a woman, you've kind of done so much in your life up to the point where you've had your first child, children come along and your expectation in your mind is still that you'll be able to do all of those things that you were doing Mm. before you had kids and perhaps even before you got married. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's that, that piece to strike that balance between the, the new gifts that you have in your life and this old one. And I think that however you work that out for yourself is the key. It's not always going to be easy. And you'll always kind of feel as if there is a little bit of a struggle of I, I, I've got more things to do or I'm not mm. giving enough time to my kids. But yeah. there is also something quite um, magical just about saying, well, um, I can only do this much and allowing for that stage of life that you're in. Yeah. Um, and the minute that you do that, I think you remove a lot of the stress and pressure that you would otherwise put on yourself. Yeah, because you have such high expectations on yourself. So it's good to know that it's okay if I can't get this done by today, but at least I've done like three things, the most important things for today. Right. So yeah, that helps. And then also my, um, I was going to say something about my kids that now they're in the, they're not kids anymore. So yeah, they can help themselves as well. And the older one can help the younger one. That helps as well. And um, sometimes you may need to work late at night because I remember a few years back when I was doing my English Matters together with the online, uh, sorry, the part-time job I was doing, translating TV shows, I was juggling two jobs. And there were times when I was launching something, but I ha- also had to submit this, uh, this show, this file to the, to the company that I was working for. And it was, it was really a big struggle for me back then. I had to sleep at 2 a.m. sometimes, but now that... I knew that the struggle was not going to be forever. And I was working towards something that where I could have a more flexible schedule, but I just went through it. I thought, okay, this is temporary. I just still have to do it. And I know that the kids will get older and then it will get easier. Inshallah. Inshallah. And I think that this reminder that you've said that this is temporary actually is really quite significant because when you're in the middle of it, if you think that this is going to be the rest of my life, then chances are you probably would give up because it's just not human to be able to continue like that forever. But that that acknowledgement that you can do it for a short period of time is probably the thing that kind of gets you over it. Yeah, that's right. Right. I think Mm. that really helps a lot knowing that nothing is set in stone. Everything Mm. is temporary or it's just a phase in your life right now. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'd I'd love to know what makes you feel inspired. What makes me feel inspired? I am a person who is very um, future oriented. I love change. Um, which is very different from my husband. He despises, okay, he doesn't despise change, but he doesn't enjoy change as much as I do. So I'm always like, okay, let's do this. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because I just love change. Uh, I've learned to like rein that in a bit. But um, what inspires me is like knowing that there's going to be a new experience or something, something to look forward to. That has been a bit difficult for us because of the lockdown, because we don't know Mm. how long we'll be in here. But What inspires me is planning for the future, planning for something fun or a new experience or something that I can learn. Yeah, so I do a lot of that. I love to plan in my calendar as well, which is weird as well, because I've never been a person who looks at her calendar. But the planning part is fun for me, planning what I'm going to do next week or next month. 
something that's mm. exciting. Yeah, that's mm. what inspires me. I think. I love I love everything that you've just said because I'm a planner as well, <laughs> and I and I love planning in my calendar. But what you've done is you just made me realise that actually I will go to the nth degree in the calendar, and then sometimes I'll just completely forget about it until that actual moment. And so, like I, I even even last week, people were saying to me, "So so, what's your plan for Friday?" And I said, "It's Tuesday today. I don't need to know right now." I know what I'm doing today <laughs> by Friday. I'll, I'll know on Friday what I, and when, the thing I, sh- I share that because when you're busy and you've got a lot going on and you've got a lot of responsibilities, then it's kind of, it really is that idea of, of planning with a level of detail so that you can actually then relax in the day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And you know that you, it's going to get taken care of when the time comes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I I don't know, I just think there's something really, really magical about um having uh organized what it is that you want to do in the future. And so there's this huge section in in the book that I wrote last year, uh, results of the art and science of getting it done, about kind of how do you select the projects that you work on and then how you utilize your time. Because I think sometimes people have huge ambitions and they have wonderful ideas, but they've not done that second bit, which is the planning. Mm-hmm. And so you, you've spoken about that, but I would like to know, how do you select the projects that you work on? So how do you know what you're putting in your calendar, if that makes sense? Not the logistical stuff, but the really exciting things. Mm, how would I know? Mm, one is that every three months, so we have our company meeting, our quarterly meeting. So we have set we set our rocks. I don't know if you've heard of the EOS system. So we use the EOS system. So we create rocks for ourselves. Some things that are exciting that we can put in the calendar. So that helps for me to decide. And then when I put it in the calendar, I plan backwards. So like I'm back schedule. Okay, this week I'm going to get this done. And this week I'm going to get that done. And then setting goals for myself every three months. Um, the quarterly goals, like... I need to have at least one exciting experience a month. Not exactly exciting, but something new for the family. So I put that in my schedule. Um, yeah, that's how. That's basically how I do it. And then at the beginning of the week, I go through the calendar with my husband and say, okay, this week we're going to be having date night. But we haven't had a date night in a long time. But yeah, that's that's basically it. I don't think I'm really, my, my schedule is that exciting, but knowing that what the my goals are what are important to me I make sure that I put that in the calendar so I actually do it so mm. that helps having those mm. goals and then moving backwards scheduling the time for it mm. and for those who don't know what is the EOS system it's called the EOS it stands for entrepreneurial operating system yeah right. That's right, right. Yeah, I'm looking at the book there at the back. <laughs> yeah, and and people could just Google it, I suppose, and and we'll also include links to that in the in the show notes as well. And and I know a lot of people who use that and say that it's absolutely wonderful. I like the way you describe kind of like the three month process because it's something that I'm really an advocate for. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have dreams and ambitions and and things that they want to do but they don't do them partly because they're not thinking, what am I doing in the next three months? Um, And the the reason I'm an advocate for that is because uh, I think three months is far enough for you to make a good amount of progress. um, And it's also short enough for you to then feel it. Yeah. 
Whereas when you plan for a year, I think it's just it's easy to kind of like lose a month here or so. But even in in like three months, like 12 weeks, if you lose a week, it kind of is okay because you can catch up. Mm -hmm. But over the course of a year, I think it's impossible to catch up on a month. You know, I mean, it it could be done, but it's really I think it's quite hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And a couple of other things that came to to my mind was that you have uh, you have both um, kind of team meetings at work. But I heard that you said that you have family meetings as well. In some ways, you said, you know, you meet with your husband and you say this is what the plan is for the week. And I think um, it's really wonderful to hear that that's what you're doing, because when people ask me, how do we get so much done or how do we make decisions and things? That's essentially what we do. You know, it's having a family meeting. And, you know, funnily enough, actually, even since the kids were young, like we were like, you know, there's four of us, you know, um, my son, my daughter, husband and me. And we would divide the month up. And so at that time, both of us were working full time. Kids were at school and we would say, "Okay, everyone has a weekend. What should we do? And it's incredible in terms of giving a sense of responsibility Mm-hmm. And and when you instill that at a young age, you do, I think, start to see the benefits of it as they get older. That's great. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes I think that we when we make decisions, we get our children involved. But sometimes we think like maybe we shouldn't have asked them because now they're like demanding too much. But when I hear that you say that it's good for them, they're like, okay, maybe I'll I'll see the benefits later. <laughs> you certainly will, especially when they're teenagers, because the thing is it's very easy, I think, for for and because teenagers are so hormonal and it's not their fault it's just a biological process that they're going through Mm. that that as a parent you kind of think well you know they're disengaged but if you've kind of set it up as part of their normal experience when you're consulting with them or asking them for opinion even if it's just one or two words they're more (laughs) likely to give it right yeah that's great it's great Mm. to hear that because you are your children are a bit older than mine, so yeah, it's good to yeah. hear that. <laughs> so it does work. It does work. You're planting powerful seeds there. <laughs> I, 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 one of the things I really want to know is, like, you, you, you seem to be very clear on the experiences that you want to have in your life. I'd love to know what's on your bucket list. Oh, what's on my bucket list? I actually, I don't have a bucket list. Is that weird to not have a bucket list? I'm the kind of person who's like, I'm a very go with the flow person. But I do want to do like go traveling and all that. I wish I could be like you and go traveling uh, for many years at a time. But I'm, my husband is not as adventurous as I'd like to be. Mm. But um, I, I don't think I have a bucket list. But I do make it a point to plan something maybe once a year to go out of the country. But now we can't do that. But yeah, I don't have a book list. I do want to go to Hokkaido, Japan. That's that's one of the destinations that are, that is on my bucket list. I used to be the kind of person who likes to skydive. I've never done skydiving, but that was something that I thought, okay, that's on my bucket list to go skydiving. But now that I'm a mom, I've kind of lost that adventurous side of me. 
None of that's normal. Are, are you like that? Do you have a bucket list yourself? It's funny because when you say it, like I, I don't have one written down, but I know that there's lots of things that I want to do. So at one point, actually, and this is before the pandemic, I had this vision to do, um, uh, it's called like the London Triathlon, where you do the London Marathon, you do the swim in the serpentine and you do like the 100 um, kilometre cycle around London. And then the pandemic happened. And um, so so that's kind of, I, I had a vision to do that before I was 50 so that's kind of gone now um but um I have lots of places that I want to travel to on my bucket list like I've been through Tokyo airport for 24 hours and uh, that is not enough of a trip to Japan (laughs) so so I want to go there um I suppose I think for me it's just I don't know what would what's on my bucket list you know it seems really like strange saying this but I think I'm living the things that I wanted to do on my bucket list from years ago Mm. and so just having that flexibility in kind of and you described this really really powerfully earlier on in that you are in charge of your schedule you know and I think for me that is the biggest sense of freedom that I could have so like if if I yeah Things on my bucket list actually would be going to various kind of like Michelin star restaurants all over the world. Wow. Yeah, okay, I'd love to go to. Yeah, I'd love to go to Italy. I've never been. I have lots of Italian friends and it's just a place that I've never made it to. Um, oh, South America, I'd love oh. to visit. And uh, yeah, that's it really. I get inspired listening to other people's bucket lists and I think, okay, I'm going to put that in my bucket list as well because I don't have any idea what to what to do. I think one of the reasons is because I've been working so hard to achieve like a, the flexibility and the, the schedule that I can I can do whatever I want in my time. But then I've got to think about my children and I've also got to think about my husband who also has a job. So it's like, am I in this all by myself? <laughs> but yeah, I've got to think about them and how I've got to put it how I've got to have a bucket list that suits their schedule as well. Yeah, and sometimes is is you know things on your bucket list can actually be really quite small things that don't take a huge amount of time. Like I, even just listening to you shares made me realize last last week I went for a massage. And it's something that when we were traveling, I used to do it much more regularly. And being back in London, you don't do it, one, because it's so expensive. And two, you have to find someone that's good. So I managed to do both of those. And I kind of thought, you know what? This conversation is making me realize that's actually something on my bucket list. Mm, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So small experiences can it's actually be... Things. Yeah, you know. So yeah. And you mentioned the triathlon. So I thought, yeah, I wanted to do a marathon as well with my husband until before the pandemic as well so yeah that's one of the things and uh, climb up uh, there's this broga hill in malaysia so i'm gonna climb the broga hill yeah this the mm. small things it's not big things mm. but one of the things that we we planned last year in 2020 was to well we planned it last year so we thought this year we wanted to go to japan hokkaido japan but we don't know when that's going to be yet because at that time, we couldn't afford to go to Japan with the, the business was not booming yet. So this year, like we can afford it now, but we can't go now. So I know it's the biggest frustration, actually, than the not being able to travel because, um, you know, when you're used to doing it a lot or, or when you, you 
the door is open for you and then all of a sudden for it to be shut it is a real challenge and I also realize I must say for people who are listening in I know that you know the pandemic has been a huge amount of challenge and people have lost lives so I understand the the privilege of of what I'm saying and um, I feel very very blessed that you know to some degree we haven't really been that affected by the pandemic Um, so yeah yeah it's Um, true yeah moving on i'd love to ask you in in fact kind of partly related to the pandemic actually what has been your biggest challenge in the last 18 months or so and and how did you overcome it my biggest challenge um over the past year or so was hmm let me think i think it was about uh staying inspired because mm. it's like I mentioned before, the future inspires me, but not having a clear future that that has been hard. Because last year was uh, actually our tenth, my, our tenth wedding anniversary, so we were planning to do something special, but we had to cancel our plans. But it's also helped us to to be very grateful for what we have. Like what you mentioned, we haven't been as affected as a lot of people have been by the pandemic. But it's made me it's humbled me to think that I have already everything that I need. I have a roof over my head. I have food to eat. I have healthy children and I have my own health as well. So the biggest challenge was me was just staying inspired and getting into uh, a routine that I can stick to because here in Malaysia, uh, we had the pandemic in March. Sorry, we had the lockdown in March and then July, the schools opened up for Mm. about two or three months. And then in, I think it was in October, they closed schools again. So it was like, oh, just when I was getting used to working from home with the kids at home, then I had to change the schedule for them to send them to school and to cook for them before they had to go to school. So that, yeah, getting into that routine was, was probably the hardest thing for me. But besides that, it wasn't as challenging as I know as many people had. Yeah, it's interesting, the, the the piece about kind of like getting into a rhythm of things and then it just having to completely change and and being able to lean into that uncertainty. I think that uh, I, I would go as far as saying that uncertainty is one of the most kind of um, destabilizing or unsettling things for human beings. Mm-hmm. And um, leaning into that is a real challenge. And so my encouragement always is to to just be kind to yourself in in those times because otherwise you just you, you set yourself up with expectations that you're not going to meet and mm. it becomes so difficult you know yeah Mm-mm. that's right and what was the the biggest gift that you experienced from this last kind of you know year or 18 months the biggest gift had has to be having my husband at home every day Mm. (laughs) so my husband he usually works uh, he's usually out of the house by 8 30 in the morning and he comes back around the same time at night which is about 8 30 9 p.m so I would only see him for a few hours and then we'd go to sleep so ever since he's been working at home it's been really great that we've had time to spend with each other and the children have been able to see their dad and being able to pray five times a day together, which is wonderful. Mm. So that I think that's the that is one thing that that I can take from this whole situation that has been really helpful, and I really value the time that we've had together. 
Mm, I think it's I made that. us closer. Yeah, I think it's made our family closer. Weirdly. Yeah, I, I, and I think that, I mean, I, I kind of describe my time um, with the kids at home as um, I got to know them again in a, in a mm. different way. Because I think when when your kids are teenagers, you know, they, they want to have a level of independence and quite rightly, you know, um, and they're doing their own things. They come home from school and they've got so much homework. They disappear into their rooms and things. And it's it can be quite challenging to build that bond and to have that connection and and we were able to kind of like revitalize that again and I think that has been really really good that's great Mm. especially the teenagers they like they might be a bit rebellious and stuff I don't know what it's like to have teenagers yet but I'm just preparing (laughs) myself for it (laughs) you'll you'll love it I tell you something that's fascinating is that um um I think well, yeah, what would I uh, I think between 11 and 14 is really quite challenging. Um, mm. But also for me, m- m- the biggest thing that helped me with that was realizing it's biological. You know, what we sometimes do, I think, is we look at teenagers and think, you know, it, it's, it's about them and about their being. And so um, I read somewhere that said that, the, you know, kids have their kind of tantrums at the age of two. And some of that comes from a huge hormonal rush. Mm-hmm. And actually teenagers go through the same thing in terms of the huge amount of hormones that get released in their body. And, and, I, th- and I think when you know that that is what is kind of fueling some of the, the behavior and the adjustment, it just makes it a little bit easier for you as a parent because we're kind to toddlers with their tantrums why are we not kind to teenagers when they're going through that kind of adjustment in their own lives Mm. you know yeah that's interesting and they do come out the other side they really do so like you know 15 well like late 14 15 is actually it's really nice to see um that they then start to develop into just really kind of like amazing human beings because you planted the seeds so there's a light at the end of one hundred percent, one hundred percent. But I have. I also need to realize that I have three boys, but they are so different from each other. So one of them is a bit. Um, I would say is a bit stubborn. The other one is easygoing. The last one he is a bit in between. So I've, I I can't compare them to, to each other. I mean, the second one he's like a people pleaser, so he will listen to whatever I say. So it's a bit of a challenge. The first one is a bit of a challenge for me. So I'm bracing myself for him to go through through teenage, the teenage years. So I don't know how to do mm. that. But hearing you gives me hope that it's a biological thing. Yeah, so definitely. And and just, I mean, you know, I never expected that we would be speaking so much about parenting in this podcast. <laughs> but I think it's important because, you know, we're working women, we've got kids. And I think there's some really powerful messages to others listening to that. Mm-hmm. And I love what you have said in terms of recognizing that your kids have different personalities, yeah. because sometimes what happens is that people just assume that their children are all the same. But just acknowledging that, you know, each one of your kids needs a different experience from you as their mom is just such a huge gift that you're giving to them. And that, I think, will will sincerely help them to flourish and thrive as they are going through this kind of um, growing up to to be young adults. Yeah. So well done, you. 
<laughs> Thank you. But I don't think I deserve that yet. <laughs> well, it sounds to me as if you're planting the right seeds. So that's really, really good. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and and that kind of nicely brings me on to my next question is what does flourishing and thriving mean to you, to you personally? Flourishing and thriving means um it's not just the the material success or whatever success that you have in mind, but it's about the relationships as well. That's what that's what we've been discussing, our relation the relationship with our children, with our husband, with our family members. That is more important than any material wealth or whatever that you get from the outside world of what people see you. If you have attained all that success, but you're not happy with those closest to you, then I don't think that is successful at all. So for me, flourishing and thriving is being able to do what you love, but also having amazing relationships with those closest to you. Because I've always been the kind of person who has been chasing success ever since I was a kid. I've always wanted to be at the top and I was always comparing myself with others. But I realized that once I stopped trying to achieve some sort of success that I thought that society uh, set. And I learned to appreciate my relationships. And I was kinder to myself and kinder to those around me. That's when I'm happiest. And that's when I can flourish and do the things that I love to achieve that success that I had, that mm. I want, sorry. Mm, I love that. I mean, I, it sounds to me as if in some ways we're living parallel lives <laughs> because everything that you've, you've said is my own experience in terms of kind of like you know having that uh, external drive for for things and my ambition used to be that I wanted to be the first hijabi chief executive of a local authority and local authority is kind of like um the organization that that for example for you might run um the Petaling Jaya and the district of Petaling Jaya mm. you know and and everything that goes within there and then you get so close to it and and for me I realized I didn't really want that anymore you know yeah. Uh, I was like that as well. Mm. Uh, I had ideals for myself and I realized that I don't know why I had those ideals. I was like, maybe it's okay for me not to not to be so idealistic and be okay with who I am now and appreciating all that I have now. Like mm. I used to think, okay, I have to have a I have to graduate top of my class, I have to have a job, a corporate job and work there forever. I have to, I have to get married, I have to have children, four children. I thought do I really need four children? Of course, children are, are lovely, right? But I thought, I don't know whether I want four children, but three maybe is enough. So I had these ideals for myself. I realized that I had to let them go. And I had to realize that what success means for someone else may not be what success means for me. Mm. Yeah. And I think that is actually the biggest learning that I've also had in, in the last year. In the, even though I've been working for myself and, you know, I have my own company and all of these other things, the, the the challenge has been that you still kind of look at other people who are doing the same thing and try and uh, create a version of that. Mm. And I and I think for me, what has created the biggest um, experience of joy, but also the biggest kind of trajectory in terms of growth has been the realization that you do it your own way and you learn from others, but put a little you know so for example for you put a little bit of amna into you know the, your version of what they're doing and for me put a bit of sayada in because otherwise it's like it's someone else's dream that you're chasing and what's the point 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. Mm. Like if it doesn't make you happy, it, it looks like you're happy on the outside, but are you happy really on the inside? Yeah. Oh, that's that's uh, honestly that that question is something that kind of I struggle with so much in my thirties, and mm. it's it's uh, gosh, I mean, we could spend a whole hour just discussing that one. You know, you look happy on the outside, but are you really happy on the inside? I think. I'd encourage everyone listening in just to spend a moment or two really reflecting on that. It's such a, a powerful, powerful question. Yeah. You tend to compare yourself with others, right? I, mm. Well, I do. I tend to compare myself with others. Like their success, when I look at their big houses or their big cars, then I forget who I am. So I need to, sometimes I need to take a little bit of a social media detox to get back to who I am and what's important to me. Mm, mm. which I am happy for those people who post those kinds of things but it makes you feel like you're not enough so it's important yeah and that piece about um you know a a really important question how what do you need to do in order to feel like you are enough you know and whether that means taking a social media detox whether that means kind of just having some rest or pausing or um you know, maybe doing something different. You do whatever it is that you need because this is your life, right? Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. Um, I'd love to touch on something that I think is really amazing that you're doing, which is you're working with your siblings in your company. <laughs> and I just would love to unpack that a little bit. So it sounds as if you all get on really well. I mean, I said I have three sisters. So I, I get, you know, one would say we get on really well, but there are also moments, you know, of just kind of like um, tension and inspiration and things like this. And I I would love to know, how do you work really well when you set up your company with people that are so close to you? What's your advice for people? When I, before we started My English Matters, I always told myself and I told my sisters, I'm never going to work with my siblings because it's just too much, uh, it's too much tension, too much conflict. But when we started My English Matters, when I, when I had the idea of starting My English Matters, I couldn't think of anybody else that I wanted on the team mm. because I knew that Azima, my, she's, a, she's older than me, she's my older sister. She's, we have actually, we have seven siblings. Azima's the second, I'm the third and Aisha's the fourth. And I knew that her, the standard of her work is really good. And then I knew that the standard of Aisha, which is my younger sister, is top-notch, world-class. I can't think of anybody else who, who would... I can't think of any other people who could fit the criteria that I wanted for the company and who was available at that time. And I thought, how, what was your question again? How did I... How did you decide to work with each other? How do you kind of like deal with some of the the stuff that comes up? Because it's a big deal, you know. Mm. So we meet, we, Azima, she lives in Turunganu, which is about a five hour drive from here. So we, we're always connecting with each other through WhatsApp. And I think it's because we're all kind of, we've, we've done all the sibling fights already when we were kids and we were all kind of matured and we are, we are really close to each other. We talk to each other all the time. There are times when we've had disagreements, but we all know that um, the disagreements are because of the company itself, for the, for the company. We're not doing it out of our egos. And yeah, it's all for the business. It's, not, it's nothing personal. And another thing that we do every, every meeting, we have a meeting every week, once a week on Wednesdays, 
uh, we do online, we have a time where we just talk, we like chit chat for about 10 minutes, just about, about life, what we're doing, what we're up to. And that helps to get our mind off the business and that we're real people. And yeah, we're just always communicating with each other. That mm. really helps. Mm. There's, there's a couple of things that I would really like to highlight from what you've shared is that that one, you know, what you what you shared about like um, we had our little fights when we were younger. You know, that's really quite important because I remember um, when I when I came back from university and then seeing my sisters again, I thought, you know what, they're actually really nice human beings. <laughs> And yet when you're growing up and you kind of like, you know, the whole experience, I think, of life, you know, we're four girls um, is is can be quite intense because we're all going through the hormonal changes at the same time. (laughs) Just imagine. Right. Like I wouldn't want to be in a house with four girls going through that. And then you kind of grow up and you realize that actually, do you know what you your bond really, really is quite strong. And for me, like I look at my sisters and, I, and I'm the oldest and I just think, you know, you are all just such wonderful human beings. Mm. And that is just such a gift for you then to be able to work with your sisters. I think is just wonderful. Um, yeah, and working together and knowing that we're doing it for the people that we are serving. We're not mm. doing it for ourselves. I think that's helpful as well. Because there are times when we've had, before the pandemic, where we would meet, we had our quarterly meetings and we would be in the same hotel room. And sometimes we do annoy each other. And then I'm like thinking, oh, I'm glad that we all don't live together and work together. So we just work together. We don't live together. That helps as well. Mm. Having a bit of a distance from each other, but still having that same objective, which is to serve the people that we are serving in the company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's interesting you say that. So so me and my husband work together, but we have separate offices in the house. Oh. Yeah, because I, I mean, you can try and work in the same space, but I think that it affects your relationship. Whereas working together and having the separate space just means that you can kind of like do your own thing. And there's also something about like, there's a cutoff. So we... We know when uh, conversation about certain things has to stop. I'm not always that good on that, but you know, I, I kind of, I kind of know. <laughs> and in fact, even yesterday, um, Idris was like, "I just, I don't know how you do it, Sayida. You work until this time, and then you just stop." And and for him, he just needs so much more downtime. And and that is is really about just knowing who we are as people, you know, yeah. and and leaning into that because we're all different and it just brings a lot of strengths when you do know who you are and you're able to operate from your own sense of integrity. Mm. Yeah, that's good as well. What you mentioned about how you work with your husband, how I work with my sisters is different. Like the way I work with Aisha, who's the younger one, she's more project based. So I know that her strength is she gets projects and then she just gets it done. So I can't give her uh, like a very long deadline. I have to give her short deadlines and she can get it done in a short time. Like Azima, she's she's the opposite of a procrastinator. She, I don't know if there's a word for it, but if I give her something today, sorry, if I give her a project today, then I know that she's going to be thinking about it for the next two weeks, if it's like next two weeks. So I have to work, I have to give them tasks and they need to work with me the way I like to work as well. So it's like knowing how each person works is, is good and being and not pushing them to be who you want them to be, working mm. to their strengths. That helps mm. a lot. 
I love that. And then the, the, the last thing for me to unpack about this, uh, about what you said, was um, that you spend 10 minutes just chatting. And, mm. you know, it's really powerful, actually, because I've put together a couple of teams recently for projects that I'm working on. And one of the things that, that I've done is that idea of, you know, everyone has to share how they are, what they're doing, and just... Um, kind of bring people into the room is what I'm describing it. And I'm talking about like an online room because, you know, we can't meet. But how do you kind of cover that thing, that conversation that would happen when people are picking up their, their tea or their coffee as they come into like a boardroom? And that that description of 10 minutes of just catching up, I think is really significant. And I would advocate for anyone who's listening in and and has formal meetings to put some of that into the schedule, because that's where bonds get built. That's where people really start to understand the values and the strengths and, and what makes people feel alive. And as the leader of some of that, it's just a real gift when you start to see your team connecting with each other in a way that you could not have anticipated and all of that happening virtually so I want to acknowledge you really for for that kind of 10 minutes at the beginning very very powerful um I have a couple more questions and then uh, we will wrap up I think um I'd love to ask you what advice would your 16 year old self give to you if they saw you today my 16 year old self would say to me, um, it's okay to be spontaneous sometimes. Have fun, keep on having fun. Because as a, as a teenager, I was very, uh, I was a tomboy and I was very adventurous. I've lost some of that spontaneity I think, as being a mum. So I'd love to be more spontaneous again. Um, yeah, I think that's what I would tell myself. 16 year old self would tell myself to have more fun be more spontaneous and be open to possibilities and that's what I'm trying to do now to be more open to possibilities and not be too rigid on my schedule Mm. yeah Mm, I love that and what advice would you give to your 21 year old self if you saw them I would say listen to your heart and do the things that you love doing. You don't have to try to conform to what everyone expects you to do. Uh, being at that age, thinking that, you know, I have to graduate, I have to be at the top of my class, I have to be working all the time, and thinking that people, I felt that people were pushing expectations on me, but actually they were not. So just listen mm. to your heart, listen to what you actually want to do and what happiness means to you. Just go for it and and know that you'll be able to figure it out in the end. I love that. That's universal. Like it sounds like you're speaking to me right now. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what's your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. I don't actually, I don't have a favorite book that that I think about it. Um, but if there was one book that I always go back to, it would probably be the High Performance Habits book, that one, because I love yep. the the, hab- the six habits. Because sometimes I feel that one day I might be, I feel unclear about my goals. I go to the clarity chapter. So, yeah, I have, I read, I read quite a lot. Well, not too a lot, but there are a lot of books I enjoy. But that would probably be the book that I go back to when I'm feeling a bit lost or feeling a bit off. 
Mm. And and just for people who don't know, High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard is a proper rock star book. And when I was writing my book, Results That Are in Science of Getting It Done, that was one of my kind of like book mentors in terms of thinking this is the standard I need to reach. And would I be happy putting my book next to High Performance Habits on wow. my bookshelf? So wow. <laughs> talk about expectations and setting <laughs> yourself up, right? <laughs> Amazing. Um, uh, what are you reading, listening, watching at the moment that you're really enjoying or learning from? Um, right now, I'm reading a book by Donald Miller, Creating a Story Brand. Um, Love that. I'm reading that one. Uh, this is a good one. Um, in terms of watching, I don't really watch a lot of shows, but I'm actually watching the rerun of Friends right now the comedy the sitcom um I don't know it's like it's it it's, it's kind of built into my routine so in the evening I do a bit of workout and after the workout I just feel like I just want to rest my brain I don't want to think too much I just want to have a laugh and it's only 20 minutes so I'm watching friends right now it's not very inspiring but it's fun for me it gets my mind off work yeah it's really funny because my daughter's watching that and one of the things she said she was like oh my gosh she said I learned more about being pregnant from friends than I have in my whole life (laughs) it's just funny how Uh, old is your daughter she's 17 (laughs) (laughs) and uh what are you listening to um what am I listening to I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. I'm listening to online marketing, uh, Made Easy with Amy Porterfield. Yep. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, I'm also listening to um, The Doctor's Pharmacy with Dr. Mark Hyman. Mm. Uh, what else? Lead to Win podcast with Michael Hyatt. Yeah, that, those are my go-to. Oh, and Jasmine Starr's podcast, The Jasmine Star Show. So those are my go-to podcasts that I'm listening Excellent. to. Excellent. They're all really, really good. Although I have to, I haven't heard Jasmine stars, but all the other ones are excellent. So I'm going to add that one to my list. And mm-hmm. um, then finally, what advice do you have for me? Oh, what advice do I have for you? You should be giving me advice. <laughs> <laughs> what advice do I have for you? Mm. Oh, continue being you. You're an amazing person. Um, what can I say? I see you as a person who is very uh, achievement-oriented, which is awesome. I don't think I can give you advice, Aida. Oh, I'm sure you can. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you can. I think, actually, I will say, I think you've given me lots of advice through this whole podcast because just some of the reflections that you shared, I think, um, as I was uh, thinking about them, it made me realise, you know, just to appreciate some of the stuff that I might not have done. Um, so perhaps this whole podcast actually has been advice directed just to me. So. Oh, <laughs> okay, but okay, here's one advice. Maybe you should have more fun because I think that's what I need to have more yeah. fun, right? In the yeah. things that we do and being yeah. in, in this, even though we're in this pandemic, trying to put in the fun in even the smallest things. Yeah, that's one thing that I've been telling myself. I want to take things slowly and feel the day and feel like, even though I haven't done anything productive that day, but I still want to feel like that it's not productive, but I felt that I felt the day. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting is I I think that our um, search and hunt for productivity is kind of 
sometimes toxic. Mm. And so we speak about toxic positivity and all of these other things. I, th- I think that a conversation should begin on toxic productivity. Mm. Um, Is that a thing right now? I've never well, heard of toxic productivity. Or did you just make that up? I think I just might have made that up. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I love it. Because, yeah, because it like, you know, you, you can't, what are we doing? We're kind of like enforcing the nine to five on ourselves. And because we're working from home, it's not just nine to five, it's seven to 11. Yeah, you know, exactly. um, and and even if you're only working for a few hours, then your expectation of what you can do within that short time, I just think is too much. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I've been speaking about um, in a couple of social media posts I shared recently is the idea that rest, the concept of rest is an act of resilience, but it's also an act of resistance and it's a resistance against the desire for so much productivity, you know. And and you know me, right? Like I'm saying all of this with the package of, you know, what are your targets? How are you meeting them? And all of that other stuff. So I just find it really quite interesting that I'm the one that's saying that there is a piece about um, toxic productivity that I think we need to address. Yeah, because I, I tend to be... I tend to feel guilty if I feel that I haven't done a lot of things in the day. But when I think about it, my rest is considered productivity as well. Like I like to have my cup of tea in the afternoon. Then I feel like, oh God, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have drank that tea. I could have done something else. But if I reflect on it, it's all part of like a, like a whole picture. Like that time was used to just to rest and to just enjoy the small moments in life. Mm. Yeah. And if you don't have that time of rest, I mean, like, for example, even with a Pomodoro, you know, you do 25 minutes of work and you take five minutes rest. If you don't do that five minutes of rest and you keep on going, you know, actually the research shows that your your output is less. And so mm. um, I, I know some people advocate for like, a you know, a 50 minute working time. But actually, research shows that 25 minutes is more effective, which is why I personally went and on a, a shift from that and you know the hardest thing to do is to stop working after 25 minutes and force yourself to take that five minute break Mm. but but when you do what I found I mean that's how I wrote my book in a month you know yeah it's it's insane right but I literally I kind of thought I have to set myself up for success and part of that is making sure that those breaks are scheduled in and I force myself to take them Mm. and that has been one of the hardest things for me. And I'm going into another period of writing because I'm completing my thesis at the moment. And it's just like, literally, I have to put a post-it note up on my screen that says, (laughs) you have to rest. Mm, Otherwise, you know, we, we think... Well, I speak for me. You know, I think that I've just, I'm invincible, and I'm not 17 anymore, and I'm I never was invincible. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. great. Mm-hmm. So, I'm um, gonna let me ask: Where can people find out about you, and also about the work that you're doing at My English Matters? Okay, so we have our website at myenglishmatters.com. Um, we highly encourage everyone to join our email list. So they just have to submit their name and their email address. And then we will send them seven tips to help them speak with confidence and weekly uh, weekly blog posts, newsletters that we send them. We're also on social media on Facebook at My English Matters and Instagram. We actually do a Facebook Live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Malaysia time 
on Facebook. So you'll find us there. I post daily, on the daily, on social media, which is Instagram and Facebook. So yeah, that's where you find us. Brilliant. And I would encourage everyone who is uh, looking to improve their English just to kind of go over and find out about the wonderful work that Amna and her sisters are doing. This has just been such a huge gift for me. Um, the conversation went in places that I never anticipated it would go. And I think that is the beauty of just being able to speak with somebody um, that I, I have so much respect for. I just think it's wonderful to have you um, as part of the, the same mastermind that I'm in. And, and just to see you doing the amazing work that you're doing is a huge gift and I hope that you continue to have an enormous amount of success and uh, and really kind of uh, feel alive and enjoy every single day going forward. So thank you so much, Amna. It's been enormous. Thank you so much, Seda. Just so you know that I've always admired you all this time. So to hear that from you is like it made my whole week. Oh. A whole month. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're too kind. All right. If you enjoyed this episode of With Sayada, I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Centre for Belonging and Understanding.